What If the Len Bias Story, hosted by Jordan Ritter Khan, is The Ringer's latest narrative podcast? You can find new episodes every Wednesday on the Book of Basketball 2.0 feed. Here's a quick trailer. You've heard his name, Len Bias, 1980s phenom, second pick in the NBA draft. And then, cocaine, tragedy, one of the most shocking deaths in sports history. 35 years later, Bias's legacy is still making an impact. From Spotify and the Ringer Podcast Network, this is What If, the Lynn Bias story. I'm Jordan Ritter Khan. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. Take a shot at betting the NBA with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. Coming up on New York, New York. Nothing like the Minnesota Twins, huh? That's the only way the Yankees can find a way to win. The Minnesota Twins. You got that? And Garrett Cole. And a little bit of hot water. Because of spider what? Yeah, maybe I'll figure it out. The Mets, they got a problem with David Peterson. And can anybody solve the riddle of how to slow down and how to stop the Brooklyn Nets? We got you covered. Bob Clappish, longtime baseball columnist, going to join us. Timmy O'Toole, the associate head coach at Pitt, knows Coach K very, very well. Figured we'd pop him on the pod. We haven't caught up since we've started the new gig. And some crazy Yankee fan was picking a fight with a couple of innocent Red Sox kids, apparently. We're going to hear from that particular person. She's going to join us as well. Ton of voicemails, a lot more to do. New York, New York. It's coming up next. All righty, let's roll, baby. Welcome in. Tuesday into early Wednesday edition of New York, New York, right here on the Ringer Podcast Network. And, you know, I've learned folks in life, death, taxes, and the New York Yankees beating up on the Minnesota Twins. It's actually refreshing for me to come on the air and do a show when the Yankees actually score eight runs. Let's be honest, until the ninth inning of this game, the Yankees scored in some of the wackiest ways imaginable. I'm talking subpar Minnesota twin defense, their third baseman cutting off a beautiful, perfect uh, throw from the outfield, wild pitches. It wasn't exactly that the Yankees went out and hit the snot out of the baseball until the ninth inning when the resurgent Gary Sanchez and the resurgent Miguel Andujar hit moonshots out of target field. 
this was still another one of those days where you could feel the frustrations offensively. Grounding the double plays, leaving runners on base. And I've been very harsh and very critical on Aaron Boone in the last few days. I know that. I actually give Aaron Boone, though, credit for sticking with Jordan Montgomery. He's getting killed on Twitter. You would think I'd be leading the charge with what I've seen out of the Yankees the last few weeks. I mean, I'm watching the game live. I'm saying Aaron made the right call. They got to stick with starting pitchers. They got to let these guys work out of trouble. Didn't work out. Montgomery gave up a double. What are you going to do? I can live with that. I can live with that. But I've learned the Yankees over the years, no matter what's going on with the team, they get fat and they get right against the Minnesota Twins. And I'm sure for a lot of you, Brett Gardner laying down a sacrifice bolt was like the highlight of your day. I, I, I can't blame you. The Yankees actually, you know, doing a little situational baseball. And sometimes I get sick and tired of hearing like the old 75-year-old men saying, oh, the reason the Yankees suck is because they're not bunting enough. Like that's such a lame, tired, stupid argument. But when you're not scoring runs, you got to try something out. So I give the Yankees and their team a little bit of credit today for realizing, hey, we got to put a little pressure on the defense. We got to do something a little differently. So for one night, they can excel a little bit. They need to sweep this series. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. And I think tomorrow or tonight's game, depending on when you're listening to this podcast, is going to be rather interesting with Garrett Cole on the mound. Now, if you've been following this, you know, spider track stuff, if you've been following, you know, this doctoring of the balls and the substance and all this nonsense that's been going on over the last few weeks, Josh Donaldson basically called out Garrett Cole a couple of days ago. After Cole got rocked by the Rays, Donaldson went out of his way. He, you know, could have mentioned all the pitchers in baseball. Singled out Garrett Cole for the massive drop with his spin rate. And, you know, basically tried to be Sherlock Holmes and tried to make the argument that the reason for the decline in spin rate, eh, maybe he's not fooling around with the baseball. So, Garrett Cole met with the media for the first time since these comments were on record. And you would think that he would have been prepared for some of the questions that were going to come his way. I mean, I figured, all right, you're not going to get a whole lot out of Cole. It's not that Cole is going to admit, or any pitcher for that matter, is going to admit to using this sort of substance and technology, whatever you want to call it. But listen to the way Garrett Cole handled this question, because kind of threw me for a major, major curveball. Have you ever used spider attack while pitching? Um, I don't... I don't know. I, I, I don't know if... Uh, I don't know quite... I don't quite know how to answer that, to be honest. Um, I mean, there are customs and practices that have been passed down from older players to younger players from the last generation of players to this generation of players. And, um, you know, I, I think, uh, I think there are some things that are certainly out of bounds in that regard. And, and, uh, I've stood pretty, stood pretty firm in, in terms of that, uh, in terms of the communication between our peers and whatnot. Um, you know, and, and I, again, like I mentioned earlier, there's, 
you know, this is important to a lot of people that love the game. And this is including, including the players in this room, including fans, including, you know, teams. And so if MLB wants to, you know, legislate some more stuff, that's a conversation that we can have um, because ultimately we should all be pulling in the same direction on this. Did he answer the question? Yes or no? He clearly did not answer the question. You've either used the substance or you haven't used the substance. And if you're going to dance around it, don't pause for like 10 seconds and say, I honestly don't know how to answer that question. Not only Garrett Cole will get himself into trouble. And one thing that you need to make perfectly clear, folks, because I know people are going to be out looking to roast any Yankee they can, especially a guy who's making 300 plus million dollars over the last nine years. Garrett Cole's not the only guy using this spider tack. I kept calling it spider track. Who the, who the hell cares? I mean, honestly, like guys are using this stuff. They didn't legislate against it. It was the wild, wild west. Now they're legislating against it. So I don't want you to put yourself in harm's way or in trouble, but to say I honestly don't know how to answer that question, well, where are the Yankees? How did the Yankees not Garrett Cole, get Garrett Cole prepared for that line of questioning. And it was a fair question by Ken Davidoff. It was a very, very fair question. Plenty of guys are using this stuff. Throughout baseball, that's coming to an end. So I think what everybody's going to be watching for and looking for when the Yankees play on Wednesday night, what's the stuff going to be for Garrett Cole? What is the spin rate going to be for all of our advanced stats friends who are out listening to the podcast right about now? I, for one, think Garrett Cole is going to be fine. You tell me this is the only reason Garrett Cole is good, I find that hard to believe. I think his stuff is electric. I think he's an insanely hard worker. I think he's going to be fine. But you have this story out there. You have Josh Donaldson's comments and Cole coming off a rough performance against Tampa. It makes for a far more intriguing Wednesday night. But the Yankees need these wins. I mean, with the predicament that they are in at this point in June. They need to sweep the Minnesota Twins. They need to play well in Philadelphia. They need to play well against everybody to make up ground against Boston, Tampa, you name it. So, one win, take it. Wasn't pretty. You're looking for positives offensively. Sanchez and Duhar are positives. Gary, ever since he eliminated that dopey leg kick in his stance and in his swing, the last three weeks, the guy's hitting well over 300 with power. And he's not striking out as much. And he's got to play. When I see the Yankee lineup on Wednesday, Gary Sanchez better be in it. I doubt he's catching Garrett Cole, but he's got to be the DH. Because he's hitting and John Carlos Stanton is not. And for the Yankees, if you have a pulse offensively, you need to play. So there's that. Yankees win a game. Let's throw a parade. The Mets lose a game. You don't like the idea of losing games to the Baltimore Orioles because the Orioles are a hideous baseball team. I can live with it for the Mets. Sloppy game. Gave up a ton of runs. Made a ton of mistakes. Not Basically, their worst nine-inning performance, I think, that I've seen all year. I can live with it after the emotional series they had against the San Diego Padres. I can. I'll tell you what I can't live with, though. David Peterson in the rotation. It's been awful. This is a guy who a year ago was in complete command. Pitched with moxie. Pitched with confidence. This year, seems like anytime David Peterson is on the mound, he's getting absolutely shellacked. 
He's getting shellacked. Now, I know the Mets are waiting on Cookie Carrasco, and they are waiting on Noah Syndergaard. So for the time being, they really don't have a better option. I'd argue Reed Foley, Gazelman, relying on your bullpen, or maybe extending Joey Lucchese into being a full-fledged starter would be the right course of action. I can't have Peterson give me non-competitive starts every time he toes the rubber. And he's done that way too often this year. Orioles can score a little bit. I mean, they're outscoring the Yankees this year. Put that in perspective. They're outscoring the New York Yankees. Mullins is a good old player. The Mets, got to think long and hard about Peterson. Maybe he gets one more start. He stinks up the joint again next time out. He's out of the rotation. Because I'm going to keep hammering his home with the Mets. They've overachieved because of the amount of injuries. They were in a great spot in the National League East. But the idea that the division is over is nonsense. The idea that the Mets have anything wrapped up in early to mid-June, are you kidding me? There's an eternity left in this baseball season. The Atlanta Braves are starting to hit their stride. Crothers division lead to eight and a half, nine, and you could talk about the division being over. It's not over. Are you kidding me? With all these head-to-head games? With the Mets' schedule over the next couple months? Please, spare me that one. Peterson, though, put up a shut-up next time you're out there. So you got all that going on with the baseball, and little did I know that the Brooklyn Nets would probably be in the position of, yeah, just simply wiping the floor with the Milwaukee Bucks. If you had that as the reality on Friday night as we were getting ready for the start of the second round of the playoffs, please raise your hand. Now, I know that I'm going to take a lot of heat for this, and I'm going to take a lot of shit for this. I actually went for a run, what was it, before game two. I mixed it up in my neighborhood in Brooklyn. So I said, you know what, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to run down Atlantic Avenue. I'm going to make my way over to the Barclays Center. I'm never over in that area. And I wanted to get a sense for what the vibe was, what the mood was. And it just, to be honest, it seemed like Yuppieville all over the place. Didn't seem like it was the uh, big event, the big net game coming up. And I'm going to go. I'm going to go if they play Philadelphia in the conference finals because I like Daryl Morey and I like Joel Embiid. And, you know, our friends over at FanDuel Sportsbook might be able to take care of a few things. You know, know a guy or two, it always helps. Uh, I I will find my way to Barclays Center. I can tell you this. There's not a chance in hell I'll be rooting for the Brooklyn Nets. But that's a story for a different day. Brooklyn right now looks unstoppable. I know a lot of Nets fans are probably taking extra glee in hearing that come out of my wonderful voice. But I tell it like it is. They look unstoppable. Without James Harden against a very tough-minded Milwaukee defense, they've wiped the floor with them. Durant has looked unbelievable. Kyrie has looked unbelievable. Harris knocking down outside shots. Griffin giving you the minutes that he's giving you. All you need to know about game one, by midway through the third quarter, the game was over. Game two, another level. This game was over by the end of the first quarter. It was over. Milwaukee fell behind. It was the avalanche. They're down like 15 points. I'm like, this game is cooked. I know it's the NBA. I know teams get back in the games. They won by 40-something points. It's one game if you're Milwaukee. Yeah, that's true. From what you've seen out of the Bucs, what would lead you to believe that Milwaukee now is going to go and win four out of five or four out of six in this series? 
Could Milwaukee win game three? Sure. Could you even make an argument that Milwaukee wins game three and then they go and win game four? Maybe you could sell me on that. But the idea of Milwaukee winning this series now is just way too daunting a challenge for me. I don't think I'm a prisoner in the moment. I don't think I'm overreacting. I think it's too daunting a challenge. Because I think the Nets are too damn explosive. And I think they have too many answers. They're doing this without Harden. Let that sink in for a minute. They're doing it without Harden. And you know what you've been reminded of? And I know he can be a little bit of a baby on social media. And he's got to grow up a little bit with some of that nonsense. Kevin Durant is back to being the best player in the land. Can't guard the guy. This is the Kevin Durant I saw with the Golden State Warriors and at the end with the Oklahoma City Thunder. Inside, outside, efficient, shooting over guys. And then you got the Nets playing unbelievable defense. So I'm going to have Durant playing at that level, and now I have this Net team playing a level of defense that I haven't seen all year. If this is what you're going to get, they're going to have a nice little parade down Flatbush and Atlantic Avenue. It's going to bother me if they get honored in the city and they're coming down, you know, my neck of the woods and I hear them hooting and hollering. I'm going to maybe run for the hills or maybe run to the Jersey Shore. I don't know. One or the other. But the Nets look damn special. Tell it like it is. Doesn't mean I have to like it, but I'll acknowledge it and I'll own it. They look special. So before we set the stage on what we got cooking the rest of the show, let's get a call in right out of the gate. Who's in the leadoff spot? Hey, JJ, this is Billy from Queens. I'm just watching the last second tick out of this Bucks nets game, and holy moly, in the words of you, can we stop with the Brooklyn can't play defense? Please? Please? I think Giannis had six points in the first half the two-time MVP, and our perimeter defense this game was amazing. This team is awesome. We are, we are underrated. We are literally underrated. They're not coming back from this. This is absolutely demoralizing. It's embarrassing. It's all we're going to hear about for the next two days, and I can't wait to see Stephen A. Smith fired up about it tomorrow. We're going all the way. Hop on the train. We need you. We love you. Love what you do, JJ. Go Nets. Go Yanks. Peace. Well, Billy, I love you. You're never getting me to hop on the Brooklyn bandwagon. I know there'll be plenty of frauds that do so over the next three to four weeks. That ain't going to be me. I'll be happy for a guy like you. I'll be happy for all the loyal diehards that were in New Jersey, even though you're few and far between. And listen... I was not one of those guys banging the drum about the net defense. I was worried about their interior defense, which has not been exposed yet because they haven't matched up with a guy like Embiid, which I'm still curious to see how exactly that will shake out. They're going to dodge a bullet. They're not going to match up with Anthony Davis. He's done so he's sitting at home. Maybe getting ready for LeBron James movie premiere. That was my concern with Brooklyn's defense. Their perimeter defense, you're right, has been terrific. Is that a product of Milwaukee getting a little tight? Perhaps. But I'll give credit where credit is due. Right now, they look like the team to beat. We'll see if that's the case in a week. I will guarantee you this. At some point, they're going to have some sort of adversity they have to deal with. You tell me Brooklyn is just going to coast to an NBA title? I find it hard to believe. Maybe not in this series. Maybe it's the next series. Maybe it's in the finals for all we know. I just can't imagine that they're going to waltz to an NBA title 
We're not getting kicked in the gut and getting knocked down at least once. But we'll find out soon enough. So we got a loaded show. Bob Clappish, who knows the Yankees as well as anybody, wrote Inside the Empire, spent an entire season with Boone, the guys on that team, built a lot of relationships. Bob has been around baseball forever. He is one of the guys I respect the most in New York when you're talking about baseball. So I had him on my old show a ton. Looking forward to getting his sense for, you know, what's going on with the Yankees. Had this chat earlier Tuesday. Uh, We'll have my main man, Timmy O'Toole, the associate head coach at Pitt. I was thinking of him the other day because he coached for Jim Beheim. And he also coached for Mike Krzyzewski. So with Coach K retiring, I want to check in with Coach, see what's going on. We're also going to have an unruly fan who was starting arguments with like eight-year-old Red Sox fans. I mean, who would do such a thing when they go to a ball game? Who would do such a thing? That particular person is also going to join us. We got a ton of voicemails coming up. All that and more. Bob Clapp is up next. It's New York, New York. Presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. We're coming right back. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. So with the Yankees right now dealing with not just a crisis, they're dealing with a major, major crisis with where they stand in the American League East, with the way they've played over the first two months of this year. I figure we welcome in a guy who knows the team, knows the New York baseball landscape as good as anybody. I always love having this guy on the show because I feel like I learned something new. The great Bob Clappish. What's up, Clapp? <laughs> Thanks for having me on. Thank you for the two kind words. I appreciate it. Well, Clapp, that's what we do around here. We tell it like it is. And, you know, I, I wish I could try to sugarcoat things for the New York Yankees in a more positive light. But you consider the expectations. Vegas favorites to win the American League. And you see basically the product that's been on the field for the first two months of the year. Are you stunned? Are you in disbelief? Did you think this team wasn't as good as advertised going into the year? Uh, what's been your initial takeaway of watching this team day in and day out? I'm, I'm very surprised. I mean, I'm, I'm just at the, uh, the threshold of stunned slash uh, shock. I really thought this would be the year the Yankees would get healthy, uh, that the Corey Kluber experiment would work out. Uh, you know, just about every, all the pieces were going to finally come together after four years of building uh to this this crescendo that this was going to be the year and i couldn't have been more wrong i mean at least i'm not alone everybody's been taken by surprise by this it's not a very good team right now oh of course i mean think about it you have a lineup that's dead last in the american league in scoring runs like bob if we were having this conversation in march and we were talking about the yankees being dead last in the american league I think we like look at each other saying, are you, are you drinking something today? Are you taking crazy pills or whatnot to suggest this would be the case. Um, and that's why I can't pin it on one individual within the lineup. But if there's one guy that just blows my mind and trying to figure out what has happened this year, it's DJ LeMayu. I yeah. mean, DJ LeMayu, you couldn't get him out the last two years. And it feels like there have been so many situations where he's come up with the game on the line where I've like watched the game and I've said, you know, DJ last year wins this. DJ last year ties this. 
And it's just like an automatic ground ball. He's turned into a ground ball machine, for goodness sakes. I mean, look, there's a reason why he was nicknamed the machine. It wasn't a joke. It was accurate. It's who he has been for a couple of years. A line drive, contact hitting, hard contact, line drive machine that hitters just dreaded pitching to him because you couldn't fight. He had no holes in his swing. He was adaptive. He was creative. You hard, it was hard to defense against him, defend against him because he could hit with power to all fields. I mean, he was a nightmare for even the elite pitchers. And now suddenly he's a different person. I, and I just didn't see that coming. That's the one guy. Look, there's several surprises. There's underperformance up and down that lineup. There's no question. It's not just LeMahieu. But his drop-off has been so steep. 100 points. You know, look, I'll give him some benefit of the doubt. I'll give him some some margin of error here. It was hard to expect him to hit 370 over 162 games. Last year was done over 60. And there is uh, some somewhat of a hangover when a guy signs a great contract, a huge contract. You expect them to try a little too hard, and there's going to be some fall off for that, granted. But 100 points, did not see that coming. How much of the Yankee offensive struggles do you pin on the change in the baseball? And, you know, these substances that we're hearing about that a lot of these pitchers are taking advantage of. You know, Bob, I get it. And I know the Yankees built the team based on hitting the home run. But at the same time, you're dead last in the American League. I I don't want to hear about baseball substance, whatever. The Yankees, with the way they've constructed this team, there's there's no way in the world they should be dead last in run score in the American League. Well, the reason they're dead last, JJ, is because they're so bad at creating runs. They're the worst at bringing home a runner from first base, as opposed to the Red Sox, who are number one in that department. They just do more things. They're more unpredictable. They're hard to defend against, coach against, manage against, because Cora does things that are not in the playbook, that you can't quantify through algorithms. He just has a greater feel for how to create runs in Aaron Boone. Boone is very formulaic because he thought, and the analytics department has backed him up on it, that the Yankees could score runs in the most efficient way up until 2021 which is walks and home runs. And you accept the strikeouts as, a, as collateral for that. But until that point, the Yankees' formula was built for the offense of the, of the 2020s. Nobody knew that the change in the ball would, re, would re, uh, result in the way the ball was pitched, the way the ball traveled. It exploited hitters with huge uppercuts because now the ball, because of the sticky stuff that pitchers are using, the ball does not sink. The ball actually does rise more. And it's a killer weapon up in the zone. You find a million Yankees now, and everyone else, but since we're talking about the Yankees, most of their hitters now are under the ball. So their uppercuts are have been negated by the way the ball now travels to the plate. And here's the result. They're last. They stink. They're terrible. I mean, you can strike out. They go into double digit, digits in strikeouts all the time now for that reason. So you watch this team every day, Bob. They're incredibly sloppy. They're leading the league and getting thrown out on the bases. They play a terrible brand of baseball. They play terrible defense. Fair or unfair, I'm putting a lot of that blame on the manager, Aaron Boone. Is that is that fair? It's not all his fault. It's not entirely his full responsibility. But sloppy brand of baseball, team regressing. He's got to take a hit for that, right? There's no question that you're right. Uh, managers do have a place in today's game. I and mean, a lot of people say, well, they're just messengers for the front office of the Atlantic, the analytics department. All they're doing is executing decisions that are made upstairs prior to the game. And all they have to do is consult their iPad to know what to do. That's largely true. Statistically and tactically, the game is run by people who are not in the dugout. However, a good manager is still able to impart his leadership, that hunger, that edge, that baseball savvy 
I mean, I could go down the list. That attitude that we are going to beat you today and that you cannot quantify. The analytics department cannot bestow that upon a team. What a manager does in his locker room is give his team that feeling like, hey, we're going to kick your ass today. And Aaron Boone is just, he's not that person, first of all. He's just not that person. He never was. He's a smart, friendly, get-along guy. Great teammate. He was great to have, you know, he was great to interview. I loved him as a player. Everybody loves him as a manager. There's not one person who will say a bad word about him. But who is the real warrior in the trenches? Who is the guy who will stab the other guy in the heart for you? It's not Aaron Boone. It's Alex Cora. And those are the little ways that over 162 games, the, the team does assume the personality of, the, of their manager. There's no question that's true. And we see more of it in the Red Sox than we do with the Yankees. I'm not saying the Yankees have given up. I'm not saying they're soft. But there's an element to the Red Sox personality that they get from their manager that they're not getting from Aaron Boone. And, you know, I don't think he's going to get fired today or tomorrow. I mean, George would have fired him yesterday. Oh, he would have been gone. He would have been gone last week. He would have been gone. The how does not work that way, but I do think that Aaron Boone's job is very much in jeopardy if he doesn't rally this team and rally them soon and they have a strong October. Now, can they do that? I don't know. It's going to be tough to catch the Red Sox and Rays. Those are two pretty good teams who managed to do a lot of good things athletically that the Yankees don't. Is it fair to say that the Yankees have taken on the personality of Aaron Boone? Is that reasonable? In some ways, yeah. I mean, look, it's a, it's a very, very confident, mature team. I wouldn't say that they're lazy. I wouldn't say that, uh, you know, in any way they're incompetent or unprepared. That is, that would not be fair to say. However, there's a certain it factor. And I, I hate using that word because it, it's, it's, it's hard to describe. But for the, for the lack of any other description, they don't have that it that they've had in the past, that they had certainly in the late 90s and the early 2000s. And, and they had early on under the Joe Girardi era. They don't have it this year. There's just something missing. And, and you mentioned correctly that, you know, they make mistakes on the base pass. They make uh, defensively, they're terrible. You know, they're, 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 Gary Sanchez doesn't know how many outs there are. You know, once or twice it happens, okay, they're anomalies, but it's a pattern with the Yankees, and that does fall on Aaron Boone. What bothers me so much, Bob, I think from a fan's perspective, is that I think back to 2017 and how enjoyable the team was. You see all these young players. It was such like a feel-good ride. Like you never saw it coming. You figured the Yankees were at least a year or two away from playoff contention. They get to game seven of the ALCS against the Houston Astros and obviously fall short. But you thought this would be like a championship window for this group. And... I think it's pretty obvious, even with some of the additions like Garrett Cole, who you thought was the missing piece to, dare I say, get this team over the top. It feels like they've gone the other way and they're further and further away from a championship. And I don't want to be the guy to yell and scream and say, I want change. I want a new GM. I want a new manager. I want this. I want that. But the reality is when you're moving further and further away and you're not getting closer and closer and you're the New York Yankees, something's got to give. There was no question. I mean, look, in 2017, like you mentioned, there was this great expectation. Okay, they came, they fell short, but man, it was an exciting run. And this is, there are going to be better times ahead. It's only going to be this and better over the next four or five years. No one on that team is improving. I mean, who is better today than they were in 2017? Maybe Judge is finally getting back to where he was in 17. But Gary Sanchez is no better, obviously. Uh, Glaber has regressed. I mean, guys hit 38 home runs and now he's down to three. I mean, where'd that power go? Uh, 
you know, Clint Frazier, I thought I had huge expectations for him. I mean, who thought that he would be hitting under 200? Last year, Bob, he was terrific. He was terrific. He was terrific. I thought he was ready to be an everyday player for So team. did I, and so did the Yankees, and he's regressed. They've all gone backwards. Gardner has regressed. I mean, they're they're terrible. I mean, so many in so many ways, this team has peaked and gone backwards from 2019 that right now I find it improbable. I'm not going to say impossible, but it's improbable that they can catch fire and turn into a 100-win game, a 100-win team. I thought they were. I figured they'd win about 100, 102 games. I don't see that now. I mean, they'd be lucky if they win 87 or 88 at this rate. They're a 550 team. Do you get the sense, and you know the organization, the inner workings very well, will they now put themselves in a position where they say, we got to go for it, meaning we'll trade big prospects for Cattell Marte. We're going to go and get a couple lefty bats. We might even go over that luxury tax threshold, whether the Yankees look at the situation and does ownership look at the situation and say, look, we're not that good. This team doesn't deserve that. How do you see them taking shape of that over the next few weeks? It's not going to happen over the next few weeks. There's no way that they're going to remake themselves like they did in, in, in 2016. There's just, that's not going to happen. They're not uh, selling off players. Bob. They're, they're no not going to. They, they, look, as long as they get the playoffs, there's still a mathematical chance that they get to go to the World Series. And Hal Steinbrenner, who ultimately will make this decision, not Brian Cashman, Hal Steinbrenner is going to give this club and Boone and Cash every chance to to redeem themselves. And that means if, if it means getting in as a second wild card, that's what it has to be. And then it'll be on Boone to, to catch fire in October. But they're not going for it, quote unquote, going for it in July. Now, this offseason, there's going to be a reckoning if they don't if they don't make hay in the, in the postseason. This winter, you'll see some major changes, I believe, but not between now and then. We've talked about this quite a bit, and I don't think it's the only problem with the Yankees, Bob, but it's something that's bothered me, and they were talking about it on Sunday night. I'm shocked they were actually nailing this in the broadcast. The idea of the Yankees not being left-handed enough, and I know a lot of the analytics out there say, you know, the righties will shoot the ball the other way, the lefties hit into the shift. That's why we've tried to change the complexion and the makeup of the lineup. But when you play Yankee Stadium and you go up against tough, tough flight, right-handed starting pitchers, you need balance in your lineup. Is that one of the glaring and obvious weaknesses you've seen with this team over the last few years? They're, they're highly unbalanced. I mean, to a fault. Now, I do. some of the things you said are actually true. I know you said you don't want to hear it, but it, it actually does matter that the game has changed. I mean, the, the shifts have destroyed left-handed hitters. Unless you can, you can perfect that home run swing, you know, you're likely to hit into that shift a million times. Look, it ended Jay Bruce's career, and and it, it did the same. I mean, it 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 created an underperformance for Mark Teixeira for many years. But wouldn't you say then, Bob, you want guys like a Michael Brantley type then, who are lefties that are going to use the entire field that will provide you that balance? Like, it, this might sound crazy, and I'm not trying to rag on Giancarlo Stanton. Michael Brantley would be a better fit on this baseball team. He just would. Oh, we could go on and on about Stanton and, you know, what he has done to the payroll and how he has tied Cashman's hands and whether or not it was a good move to pick him up, you know, in 2019, 2018. I still think that Cashman did the right thing at the time, given the information that he had at the time. You're talking about the National League MVP coming off a 59 home run season. Guy was still relatively young. You get the Marlins to pay for some of that. You pair him with Judge, who are still young and on the upswing. You put Judge together with the National League's MVP in Yankee Stadium. Both had the ability to hit to the opposite field. You put those two together, and you're talking about 100 home runs between the two, in theory. 
Who knew that Stanton, A, would be this fragile, and B, was so poor in, in pitch selection and had such a singular swing path that if you worked him right, you could strike him out seven times out of ten. I had no idea that he was this easy to exploit. But at the time, I actually thought it was a decent deal. Uh, and I don't blame Cashman for that. In retrospect, worst move of, of this era, of this generation, because it has clogged up the entire system and has really frozen all the money that we would normally be talking about the Yankees spending freely. Brian won't admit this. If he could have a do-over for the Stanton contract and the Stanton trade, he'd have to take that do-over, right, Bob? Yeah, of course he would. I mean, he says all the right things. Look, I know what Stanton's capable of. Just got to get him healthy. Look what he did for us in October, last October. And he's right. I mean, you know, you put him on the field, you have him feeling right, he gets in sync, he'll destroy an opposing pitching staff, all of them. But how often do you get that? And at what cost? A, there's long stints on the IL. He has trouble running down the first base hard. He doesn't sprint anymore. He's trying to protect his legs, clearly. When's the last time you saw him really go all out? Well, and he can't even play the field. That's the other thing, Bobby. He's incapable now of being put out in left field for a week or two, which basically pigeonholes him as a 30 plus million dollar dh for the next few years it's crazy right and he, and the yankees are stuck with him and they're absolutely stuck with him and you know we're talking about defense the yankees have four or five guys out of position every night to compensate for their glaring holes defensively it's a bad team in run prevention a bad team the yankees have to be better at that going forward next year going forward whoever's their manager whoever's they're going to build a team around assuming that they don't go anywhere this year They've got to start with their defense because it's just awful right now. You're a great historian of the game. And I've always said, Bob, that for me, because I didn't get to see Koufax, I didn't get to see Seaver, I didn't get to see Gibson. Pedro at his best when guys were all rutted up on steroids in 99, 2000 from a starting pitcher. I've never seen anybody more dominant. The Grom's given him a good run for his money over the last few years. Is is it now fair to say I can put Pedro 99-2000 in the Grom's last couple of years? Uh, I would say so. And you're predating me on Colfax. I did not cover Cindy. No, I know that. I know that. But I'm just, you know, yeah. in the sake of throwing a bunch of great historical pitches out there, Bob, I feel like right. for the older audience, I at least want to throw them in there so I know yeah. what the hell I'm talking about, you know? Right. Now, Pedro 99 was the greatest I've ever seen. Gooden in 85, right there, too. But th- those are fairly small windows. I mean, DeGrom, and they were both younger than DeGrom is right now. DeGrom's 32 or 33. I mean, he's getting better. That's the incredible thing. Is he's throwing pitch- 101, 102 every pitch now. It's crazy. In his 30s. I mean, the only other person to do that was Nolan Ryan, and that's a once-in-a-generation freak. He did it into his 40s. DeGrom, I mean, most pitchers, by the time they're in 33, 34, 32, they're figuring out other ways to get hitters out because they have lost some of that velocity and you've got to be smarter and more adaptive if you want to keep your career going into your late 30s. The Grom is still pitching like he's a 22-year-old flamethrower. It's unbelievable. He's a genetic freak. Look at him. He's like he weighs 70 pounds. I mean, most pitchers are so into ground force, having that, that big trunk, that, you know, those big thighs, you know, the big glutes that give them that ground force and the long, long stride length. The ground's got all that with, like, the body of a swimmer. He he breaks every rule that you would think, every rule of physics that is applied today in pitching, and he's doing it and getting better at it, which is just – it's incredible, really. Final one, two-parter. One, we're sitting here in October, first week, second week, Bob, of the New York Yankees playing in the postseason in any way. And my follow-up to that would be, if they're not in the World Series – Wholesale change is coming, right, across the board? 
Uh, playing? You mean like home playing video games? Yeah, that's what I'm No talking. video games, no golf. I'm talking oh, wild card game. They're not, Minimal. They're going to the, they'll get the wild card. They'll be in so the they walk- won't play in that wild card game. I, Bob, I'll be honest, I'd sign for that right now. I would sign for the Yankee fan Ab- in that wild card game. Absolutely, the Yankee fans should manage their expectations and realize these guys are not going to win the division. You have to lower the, your, 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 your sights and hope to get into the but wild card. But playoffs round. is still a reasonable expectation. I think that they're still good enough for that. I mean, anytime you got Cole, they got Severino coming back. Kluber may not be done yet. I think you have a chance to at least play in the wild card game. And if you have, have Cole at your best, you can win that wild card game. So they'll be around in the early rounds. Now, how far they get, I'm not optimistic about that. And if they're not in the World Series, you think this will now push on? Will ownership look at like a good second half and falling short in the postseason as like, okay, good enough, we're where we need to be? Or is anything short of a World Series going to lead to that sort of drastic change that I think some fans are looking for? Um, you got to nuance that a little bit more, DJ. I mean, if they get to Game Seven of the League Championship Series and they lose in a hard, no, they're gonna they're gonna bring the they're bringing everybody back. I of course, I mean, if yeah. they really acquit themselves well and it's really really a strong performance that falls just short of the World Series, Boone is safe. I think it will be back. The formula will cons- will be extended. They lose in the first round, though. First Bob. round, no. Then then it's time to completely okay. wipe the slate and start over with a new business plan. The great Bob Clappish. Always love talking baseball with this guy. And Bob, how much are you looking forward to getting back to the ballpark and having some interaction with the players? That's uh, where you're at your best, dude. You must I be had, salivating. I haven't talked to Aaron Judge face-to-face in two years. I haven't talked to anybody. I've been on Zoom for two years. It's been awful. So, yeah, I can't wait. I really Listen, can't. I like seeing you on Zoom, but it'll be better when I see you at the ballpark. Just saying, <laughs> I'll, okay? I'll take that as a compliment. Thank you. you should. Yeah, yeah. You should. All right. That's our buddy. That's a great Bob Clappish. A lot more to do. Jam-packed New York, New York, right here on the Ringer Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there, just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier, thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive, or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side-by-side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. Always a pleasure having our dude Bob Clappish on. And it's the first time we've brought Bob on in New York, New York. And look, the Yankees, bottom line, folks, if they could have one do-over over the last three years, the do-over is Giancarlo Stanton. And it's not to say that Giancarlo Stanton can't be a productive player. He can be. He carried the Yankees last year in the playoffs. He carried the Yankees for two weeks this year. But he's flawed. He's way too flawed a player. And for somebody making that money, to not be able to play the field, to strike out the way he strikes out, not somebody I'd want to give $30 million a year to. And I'd rather have that payroll flexibility spread out in other places. Just saying. Voicemail time. And for anybody wondering, you're new to New York, New York, or you're not. You're, you know, a regular. And you're wondering, well, how do I get in touch with the show? Well, very easy to get in touch with the show. 
1151. 9173821151. Voicemails, hot and heavy. Let's get it. Who's up? JJ James from Charlotte, North Carolina. About as frustrated as I've been with the Yankees in the past 20 years. I'm all for firing Aaron Boone, but that doesn't solve the issue. Cashman is just going to put another stooge in place that he can manipulate, that he can come up with a lineup, that he can tell them when to put this reliever in and whatnot. So I have no confidence in Cash. I've been a Cash supporter for more than a decade, love what he's done in the past, but at, at some point the marriage has to come to an end, and all things end poorly or they wouldn't end. It's time for Hal to sack up, make some tough decisions, and stop the Titanic from sinking because that's what's going on with this season. Make a move, how, do something. Doing nothing is not an option. You're going to hear that from a whole lot of Yankee fans. They want action. The way the Yankee brass can kind of get everybody, including myself for that matter, to cool down a little bit is to go and win a boatload of games now over the next couple weeks starting in this particular series against the Minnesota Twins. I think you have to acknowledge the failures of Brian Cashman in putting this team together. And I've been a Cashman guy. This team has major, major liabilities. And it can't just be the excuse of, oh, the ball has changed, the ball is deadened, and that's why the Yankees aren't hitting. It can't be that simplistic. I'm sorry. Everybody else is dealing with the same baseball. Find a way to adjust. And obviously it makes their lack of fundamentals that much more glaring. But you got to find a way to adjust. At least for this week, the Twins should be the perfect remedy for them. They always are. That means winning the next two games. With Cole on Wednesday and beating up your old pal, Jay Happ, who I'm sure would love to stick it to the New York Yankees. Okay, who's up next? Hey, JJ. This is Dan from Richfield. I just left a message about Cashman. I just got to get one more thing. Uh... Hal deserves so much of the blame for this, too. The Yankees' window has been open since 2017. And now, in two of those years, we're going straight for the luxury tax. The Yankees' payroll hasn't increased since 2005. Revenues have gone up a ton in that time frame. And I'm not going to complain about, you know, missing out on signing huge dollar guys. The ones that drive me nuts is passing out on the cheap options because it'll push us over the luxury tax. Michael Brantley would have been perfect for this team. Dita Gregorius would have been perfect for this team. Neither guy was expensive. And we passed on them because of the luxury tax. That is just so frustrating. And it's not not a surprise that the players and Boone and Cash don't have any sense of urgency when that is the urgency coming from your owner. I, I don't get how Hal keeps getting a pass. He's just as bad as any other New York sports owner. Thanks. Bye. I can't say that Hal is just as bad as some of the awful, inept New York sports owners. What you hit on, though, that I agree with wholeheartedly, the lack of a sense of urgency, it starts from the top. And there is a lack of a sense of urgency from this owner this general manager, and the manager. That is 1,000% accurate. Is that going to change at some point? Maybe at the end of this year? Perhaps. That's what I speak of, though, in addressing the arrogance. 
At least Aaron Boone, listen, I've ragged on Aaron Boone so much. I, I actually have to give credit where credit is due on occasion. I heard his remarks before the game today. I guess he asked Sid Meredith for playing them. And I heard him while I was making dinner and whatnot. And he mentioned how I don't want to hear about sample size anymore. Good. It's a step in the right direction. That's a major step in the right direction. Listen, it's going to be very tough for me to totally buy back in with this Yankee group. And I will. Listen, we're fans. That's what we do. They're flawed, though. Understand that. For a team that was the Vegas favorite to represent the American League in the World Series, they got a whole lot of warts. They got a whole lot of flaws. They got a whole lot of problems. And how much can they fix between now and the end of the year? Pitching's been good. That's not been their problem. Their offense, their lack of fundamentals, the way they've been run, that's been my issue two plus months into this year. Let's see if that changes. Who's up next? Hey, JJ. Uh, Ethan in Brooklyn here. How is everything? Boy, did I have a great weekend. The Mets, Nets, Islanders just coming up big for everyone right now. Listen, that Nets game last night, bro. I don't know what Mike Budenholzer was on, but how you playing drop coverage against Kyrie Irving and KD? They had wide open jumpers all night long. I honestly, he should lose his job. Now, I just wanted to touch on the Yankees for a second. I am a 20 year old baseball fan, so I'm a little of a new school guy. I push back on all the analytics talk from, you know, all the old guys on sports radio. Can I, I, I don't know why Yankee fans have not come to this conclusion yet, why your team sucks. Maybe it's just because the players suck. What does it have to do with the analytics? Glaber Torres cannot hit. Gary Sanchez cannot hit. DJ LeMay, who has turned into a 255 singles hitter. It's not like he's hitting home runs. He just hit singles, and he's not hitting 300. Those are the reasons why your team sucks. I don't understand where analytics comes into this at all. Your team's not hitting. Period. End. Love you, JJ. Ethan, congrats on your good weekend. I know you're probably licking your wounds right now after what you saw from David Peterson, but that's okay. Um, you're right about the underperformance. The Yankees have had plenty of guys underperform this year. I think the argument with the analytics, though, is that the Yankees have become slaves to the analytics. You saw that last year in the postseason against Tampa Bay. They yanked Davey Garcia out after one inning. They're trying to outrage the Rays. They're trying to get cute. It changed the entire feel and the entire complexion of the series. That's going to drive me insane. Lineup construction. This love affair with right-handed hitters. And I know the point. Bob Kovish was addressing it earlier about shifts and whatnot. Well, get some lefties to hit the ball all fields, for goodness sakes, and have some balance within your lineup. That's where the analytics will tell you, oh, it doesn't matter. It does matter. It may not matter over 162 games, but it's going to matter in the postseason. Analytics, in many ways, they say, oh, small sample size. Don't believe in it. Analytics, they don't believe in the idea of hot. I do. I think for anybody who has played a sport and has played baseball, you know when you're in a groove or not. In any sport, you're shooting a three-point shot. You're hot. You're a quarterback that has confidence. You're a running back that's in the hole that much harder. You're hot. You believe in yourself. That, unfortunately, is what the analytics do not take into account. 
I am not one of these guys that says analytics has no point in baseball, has no purpose, because that's a bunch of crap too. They're useful guides, but that's what it has to be. I say it all the time. You have to be able to blend the data and the numbers that are being brought your way with the soul and the heartbeat of the game. That's what the teams at the very best, at the top, that's what they're able to do. Baseball and the game needs to have a soul, it needs to have a heartbeat. That's where the analytics drive me crazy because they disregard a lot of that crap. And they think it doesn't matter. It does matter, especially in the postseason. This is not anti-analytics rant. This is the idea that there's got to be a balance. That you cannot just be slaves to analytics and think that's how you're going to win a championship. No way. No how. They're intangibles. They're it factors. There's hot. There's clutch. That stuff matters too. Who's up next? Hey, JJ Shaw from Long Island. Listen, my voice is still quivering. What a brutal, brutal last few minutes for the Islanders, but somehow they held on, taking a 3-2 lead back to the Coliseum. Listen, man, you said you have Flens Wednesday. Change them. JJ, change them now. It's a barnstorm. It's going to be out of control. Get your ass down to the Coliseum, baby. The last year there, we got to do this. We're in the series. They get outshot 45-20, to 20, whatever it was, but they find a way. Very trap scenes. They don't panic. They don't freak out. They weathered that first goal early on. And, oh, man, oh, man. Can't believe they got a 3-2 series lead. Hopefully see you down there, bud. Let's go, Islanders. Game six, baby. Let's go. We're in there. Shawnee's giddy. They survived a Boston onslaught in the third period of that game. You kept waiting for Boston to find a way to tie it. Never happened. Vorlamov, incredible. Say 40 shots. 40 shots. I wish I was able to go on Wednesday night, but I got good news for you, Sean. And I was talking about this with our good buddy, the mayor of Isle Seat Pod. He's actually going to come on on Thursday, either previewing the conference finals or getting you ready for game seven. Mike Carver is going to be back on Thursday. That's going to happen. Uh, but I told Mikey this. If the Islanders make it to the conference finals, if we have a game on a Monday, a Wednesday, or a Friday, I will be in the building. I will find a way there. For those of you who have hookups, connections with the Islanders, let me know. But I will be there. I will be a man of honor. I need a home game on a Monday, a Wednesday, or Friday. And hopefully I can get the great Anthony and Syosset, and I could get Stu Finer out there, too. I mean, Stu has been rocking and rolling. I'll be out at Stu's in about a month. You want to talk about an experience. Pool 88, me, Anthony, Syosset, and Stu Finer living it up? Oh, yeah. That's what I'm talking about. But I'm going to find my way to the barn. Last but not least, who is on the horn? Hey, JJ. It's uh, Little Eddie from Staten Island. Uh, I, uh, I, know, I know you live in Brooklyn now, but I, you, you keep saying you were uh, raised on Staten Island. Just out of curiosity, where'd you go to high school? Uh, go Farrell, Puck Feeders. Okay, Little Eddie. Now, I did not go to a Catholic school on Staten Island. My sisters did. They went to Notre Dame High School. I went to a very small school, public school, that took a whole lot of beatings in sports, Petrides High School. 
I am a Petrides High School class of 2006 graduate. I was a varsity athlete in baseball and cross country. And my claim to fame is dancing off the Petrides School mound, escaping first and third with nobody out, getting out of a jam against Port Richmond, fist pumping up a storm before they were even doing it down at DJ's or uh, Cormo, any of those bars down at Jersey Shore. I, I originated the fist pump, okay? Not Jabba Chamberlain, not the Jersey Shore Guidos. I did, okay? Me. And that's my athletic claim to fame. Not much. But I recite those games like it's yesterday. And the peters Foul rivalries, are, it's a real rivalry on Staten Island. I don't have a dog in the fight, though. So, I'm not taking sides. No reason for me to do so. Why you alienate the audience? It's like getting political or talking about religion. I ain't going to do it. I'll pass. Hard pass. When we come back, we're going to welcome in a guy who was a great contributor in my last line of work and knows Jim Beheim and the departing Mike Krzyzewski as well as anybody because he coached for both. The associate head coach at Pittsburgh and my good friend Timmy O'Toole is up next. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So we're going to welcome in a good friend of mine, a longtime friend of my radio program, and now making his New York, New York debut. I figured it was the perfect time to bring him on. The associate head coach at Pittsburgh, a guy who knows Mike Krzyzewski and Jimmy Beheim very, very well. The great Timmy O'Toole. What's up, coach? JJ, I love it. It's great to hear you. It's great to see you, actually. And I'm jacked that you're with New York, New York, bro. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. And I figured it was a great time to have you on the show. I was thinking of you the other day when we got the news that Mike Krzyzewski announced that he was going to be stepping down from Duke after his illustrious tenure. So you know him well. What was going through your mind when you found out the news? So you were shocking. Uh, Jeff Capel, we had a recruit in. And um, it, right when, you know, there was a break in the action, he goes, did you hear the news? And that's never good, right? Did you hear the news? Oh, boy. And then he said, Coach K is retired. And it was like someone punched me in the stomach. And I'm like, no, no, no. No, he's not. And even though you kind of thought, all right, it's going to happen at some point in time. Kids are leaving programs during the season now, and he had one in January. Uh, you know, and he said that wasn't part of it, but it's like it's just a different landscape. And um, again, we we thought at some point it's got to be coming, right? He's going to be seventy five in February, and um, but nonetheless, it was beyond shocking. And for me, JJ, you know, next to my father, he's obviously the most pivotal guy that I've ever had in my life with basketball. And then Jim Beheim is right behind it. And I say this to you, JJ, because I don't know if you're aware, and, and maybe I've talked about this on the show, but how I met Coach K, I was 14 years old. I was a kid at Stepanak or going to Stepanak. I watched Army play Iona at Iona when Jim Valvano was coaching the Gales. Coach K was coaching West Point. Wow. On Saturday afternoon, Jeff Ruler is playing Glenn Vickers, uh, a great Iona team. And Army loses a game, you know, like 53-51 in a, a nail-biter. 
And at back then, JJ, West Point could not have anybody over uh, the, all those service counties, anybody over 6'6". Navy couldn't have anybody in a sub. And in Army, you couldn't have anybody in a tank. So there was a height requirement, you know, a, a max. So Army came in tiny. And uh, But I left there saying, JJ, I wrote a note to Coach K that night. Okay, and in the old days, the mail went, you know, you mailed it out Monday, three days out, three days back. Sure enough, that Saturday, I got a letter back from Coach K. Because what I asked him, JJ, I said, hey, Coach, I was at your game today. Uh, I'm sorry about the loss. You kind of got screwed on a block charge call, which that was true. And then I said, I want to learn to play defense like your team did today. Do you have a camp? And if so, will you send me a brochure? And sure enough, JJ, he sends me back a brochure. I get it. I get $185 of my caddy money. I gave it to my parents. I didn't have a check, you know, a checking account back then. They sent the check and I was going to Coach K's camp. And so help me God, JJ, this is the coolest part. But here I am a little kid and, and Coach K ends up talking to my dad, takes us to, you know, when we get for registration, he takes us right to the, you know, A through L, M through R. Well, that's where old tool would be, you know, S to whatever. He talks to my pop still the whole way up. He then, after we register, he picks up my bags, carries me, carries the bags four flights up in, in Old Lady Cliff College, which is now the visitor center at West Point. And uh, we're just yapping. When I got into coaching a long time ago, my mother said, don't ever forget what that man, he wasn't Coach K at the time, he was just that man, like did for you when you were a little kid and now you're coaching. Remember, these kids have dreams and aspirations, like honor them. That's what he did for you. All right, cool. So every day at noon, JJ, the camp would leave the old field house at West Point, drive back to Lady Cliff College for lunch. And Coach K would grab me. And I was a kid and says, come here, you're staying here. And every day at lunchtime, the plebes, the incoming plebes, uh, the staff would play noontime hoop. And, you know, there's probably 18 guys. So if, if you know, you're familiar with hoop and all of a sudden five on five, you know, Five guys are waiting, and then another three. You don't want to be the guys waiting. He picked me. He's like, you're out here with me. And he would be on offense. He passed to the wing. And as he would cut, he would kind of push me in the direction, jump to the ball. As that, you know, as the play would happen, he would start moving down. He's like, drop down, drop down. So he was teaching me how to play defense while guarding him. That's and incredible. So, I just remember when I left That's incredible. this camp. I went back like, wow, you know, I, I just learned some new tricks on how to defend. Little did I know four years later, one of the main reasons I got a scholarship to Fairfield was because I was a pretty good defensive player. And I know exactly where I learned it. And it was from him. And so, you know, this is now I'm 18. I go to Fairfield. We kind of have a relationship still because I used to work at Five Star, which is a basketball camp out there. And I would see him every summer, blah, 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 blah. When I got to Fordham, J.J., Every, so as a GA, so I played Fairfield from 82 to 87. In 87, we make the NCAA tournament. We play Indiana in the first round, but Duke was in our region. And so sure enough, Duke practiced right after we did when you had the, you know, the 90 minutes or the, whatever the 60-minute practice was in the, in the Hoosier Dome. And I saw a coach, you know, and we just traded hellos and how are you and good luck tomorrow and blah, 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 blah. And then he's like, hey, if you ever want to work our camp, you know, get in, touch, in touch, uh, get in touch with Coach Gaudet. So fine. That year kind of happens. I, I end up getting the GA to Ford. And the following year, I started working their camp. And I would go down to Durham every summer and work the basketball camp. And so at the end of each week, JJ, 
like clockwork before, you know, I'd head back to New York where I was. Coach K would make, make a point of it. Hey, Timmy, how are you? Thanks for coming down. If there's anything I can ever do for you, please let me know. So I'm like, all right, coach, really, thank you. I appreciate it. I'm, I'm in Fordham's business school and da-da-da-da. But I really appreciate the week. Fine. Following some of the same thing, uh, I'm out of a job. I ended up getting hired at Army where he went. And so he's like, Timmy, that's a great spot for you. I've got a lot of friends. He's like, he's pulling all these former classmates of his that are at the academy, blah, 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 blah. All right. We get let go. I get picked up at Iona. And this is one of these make or break moments in your life. We get fired at Iona, JJ. And I worked for a great guy named Gary Brokaw. We get fired at, at Iona. And it was my last night. I'm dropping off my car at Iona and the keys. And I run into a guy named Timmy Welsh, who just got hired with his dad and replaced me. Right. And Timmy said, Tim, he, Timmy, he goes, Timmy Welsh, this is Timmy O'Toole. What are you going to do? And I said, you know, Timmy, I really don't know. I said, I'm looking for a job. I'm actually going to Duke this weekend to work their camp. And he says, why don't you call Coach Beheim or Bernie? There's a position open. I don't know if it's a GA or a volunteer, but they have an opening and you might want to work their camp. So I'm like, cool. All right. I call Bernie. Uh, fine. And sure enough, he's got a spot. Great. I go down to Duke's camp and work it. And sure enough, at the end of the camp, Coach K goes to me. He says, all right, Timmy, you know, let me know if there's anything I can do. And I said, actually, coach, there is something you might be able to do. I know last year you, PJ, Coach Beheim, and Joe Harrington coached the, the Pan Am or the World Games here at camp. I saw Look at you doing your research on that, by the way. That's well, impressive. I was there when they had, you know, like we were running camp and then the, the – So you would see it as it's going on. I, get I would you. see it as it's going on. And those are big boys right there. I mean, you got PJ, you got Coach K and Beheim basically all on the same staff. I mean, that's well, got to be like holy moly, right? That, that was as big as it gets, right, especially for, you know, a young kid coming up in the ranks here. And um, But sure enough – it was magical. Sure enough, he asked me the question. I said, would you please call Coach Beheim? I think there's an opening. You know, I'm leaving camp here. I think it was on a Wednesday. I'm going up to Syracuse Sunday night for camp. And uh, and, and would you would you place that call? Sure, Timmy, I'd love to. And But this is one of these cool things, JJ, because, you know, and I'm probably the worst at it, but how many people say they're going to, you know, they're going to do something? And do it. And they actually do it. I know. Especially in this day and age, Tim. You know, and especially in this day and age. JJ, there's the beauty, especially being a New Yorker, because New Yorkers had a certain set of rules. And That's it, what we do. That's exactly. What we do. It's code. And so it is code. By the time I got up there, 6 o'clock on the queues, Sunday night, I'm like, Bernie's dealing with the coaches and, and refs. And he's like, Timmy, I just talked with Jimmy. Mike just called. And I'm looking at, you know, Coach Fine back then. I'm like, who the hell is Jimmy and who the hell is Mike? Because I have no idea who you're talking about. And sure enough, he was talking about Coach Ashevsky called Coach Bayheim. And uh, make a long story short, I interviewed with Coach Bay and he hired me and, and I was a volunteer at the Q's that year. But it, it was amazing. You know, you're a little kid. So getting back to your question, I didn't know. You know, you, you never were ready for that. And when I did hear it, you know, I'm, I have these floods of memories because of how how important he was to me. I'm still in this profession, and and he's been this rock of Gibraltar, as as Coach Beheim has been. And uh, I'm I'm the luckiest guy on the planet. And so when I heard that news, 
it, it was it was really it was sad because to me it was you knew it was this this end of this unbelievable era um and and just how great he has been and, and for the sport jj right and so i texted him that night and i just said i don't know if there's anybody who's better at caring for people all people, the sport, the people that play it, the coaches, the referees, the, the the announcers, the fans, everybody over this this run that he's had. Not only is he be able to care, but how he shares his knowledge, his relationships, his everything. And so, just knowing what's happened in my life because of him, and and how much I've benefited. That it, it just it, it was like a massive punch to the stomach, and uh, and yet you also realize now he's got another year. Like I, I love how he said it. No, we're going. Oh, he wants to win this year because yeah, he wants this team. He's, he's not thinking farewell tour. He's thinking my farewell tour is going to be whole, you know maybe cutting down the nets, doing this one last time, that, and right. winning a national championship. For you though, you yeah. met him at a young age. He got you going in the coaching profession. Then you had the opportunity to work alongside of him. Did you notice a difference? Did you notice a change or was he the same guy? No, he is JJ, JJ. He has been the same caring, sharing, intense. Uh, he could get, he, he would get you fired up. You, you like people would say, how is it working down? It was like Christmas morning every day for two years. Like he just had an energy to him that, that has not changed, but I do believe it's because he is such a caring guy. He's willing to share. And it's been, you know, he'll be the first to admit it. He goes back to his family back in Chicago and growing up and, uh, and just the lucky breaks that he had. And he would say with his family, his mom and dad wanting him to go to West Point playing, then he plays for coach Knight, And then, and then it's, and then being part of the U S military Academy and leadership and all of a sudden, the, the, you know, that ship had sailed. And then how many other people he was, hey, man, I'm going to take you there with me. No, I've been blessed. I'm going to share this with all you guys. And hopefully it'll be a good ride. And his ride has been beyond magical. And uh, yeah, I know it's, it's just it, it, he is he's the same guy today as he was you know, when I went to West Point's camp and whether it was 78 or 80 or 79. Aside from that lesson in defense he gave you. The most important takeaway that you've had throughout your life and throughout your career of being around Mike Krzyzewski, what would that be? There are a few of them, if you don't mind, because I think about them all the time. I share them all the time. When I went and saw him in 2005, JJ, I, I, I met him in his kitchen, if you would. And, uh, you know, I was at Fairfield, I think going into my last year. And he said, Timmy, he goes, one of the key, he goes, if you want to know the key to my success, and he goes, no one knows this. He goes, I've always been able to collaborate. He goes, I've had three or four presidents. I've had three or four athletic directors. And this is back in 2005. So this is, you know, a few years back. But he, he was right. He's always one of these guys, JJ, that, that can learn to play nicely in the sandbox, that, you know, kind of is, is always keeping his eyes on the future, um, but, but knows how to collaborate. Knows how to kind of. Hey, look at the Olympic staff. Think about that staff that you put together with Beheim, with Mike D'Antoni. You know, he's consulting Tom Thibodeau. I think that says a lot about Coach K, putting those guys on his staff. 
That's right. Nate McMillan, who was just also, you know, coaching the game against the Sixers tonight. He was on one of those early staffs. And, um, but that, that's the same thing. How do you learn to harness the power of these collective energies and, and, and strengths around you? That was one. He used to say this all the time, pay attention to detail, right? That's a West Point thing. Finish things properly. FTP, finish things properly. Sense of urgency. Everything has to have a when you're playing, when you're recruiting, when you're doing anything in life, like you, JJ, you hear it in your voice, it's passion. No, there's a sense of urgency to everything you're trying to do, right? So for finish things properly, sense of urgency, pay attention to detail, like, and then lastly, and this is, you know, I, I tell this to all these the kids that I've had the pleasure of working with, whether they were five years old or they're 25 years old, trust your instincts. Coach K, TYI. Trust your instincts because when it comes down to it and you're kind of confused, no, 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 no. Trust your heart. Trust your soul. We believe in you. We're behind you. And then move. And then the last thing probably is, is just, as I mentioned, the most powerful words you can tell another person, especially in coaching, I believe in you. No, JJ, you're different. You're special. You got a gift, bro. You got a talent. Rock and roll with it. I'm behind you. But I believe in you. And, and so when you think about him, and again, he mentioned this in, in one of these things I watched the other day. But the same things he told he was talking about today, he was saying in that locker room back in 95, you know, when I worked for him from 95 to 97, he was saying that when I was 14 years old, trying to learn how to play defense. Some scared little kid from, from Westchester County as he was pushing me in, you know, in a good way, getting me into the lane. Stay in your stance, stay a little lower. You, you're too high, you're too high. Whatever it might have been, um, he had that belief. He had that magic. He that this game that we all kind of still revolve around. No great things could happen. Lives could change. And that you had a power when you were inspiring other people, especially kids. Uh, that, that was his magic. He's still doing it. He's doing it with John Shire, Nolan, Chris Carrawell, the kids on that team, and whoever's going to be there with him next year. And that's why you, you hope, too, that he keeps giving back and he will give back to this game. But the thought of him not being on that sidelines is just, it's, uh, it, it's weird. You know, let's be honest, coach. Like I think about it from a Syracuse perspective, you know, that's my school. That's my alma mater. Yep. I can't imagine what it's going to be like on a Syracuse sideline when Jimmy Beheim walks away. And yeah, I know you're tied with him. I, you know, it's amazing. Coach, did you ever in your wildest dreams think that Jimmy would be the last guy standing with all these iconic coaches you know, when you think about John Thompson, you think about Roley Massimino, now you think about Kay, Roy Williams, but yet here we are, 2021, 2022, and Jim Beheim's not going anywhere. Well, and it's amazing because I remember I talked to Coach, Coach Beheim that would be after the season, and I just said, you know, you've easily got 10 more left here, easily. And uh, he laughed, and I'm like, I'm not laughing. I know this for a fact. And it, 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 getting back to that question, do I ever thought, I mean, I never really thought that far ahead. But he is so competitive. He's in great shape. He loves what he does. He's been up there, you know, since 1963. Uh, you know, he is so in the fabric of not only Syracuse University, but central New York, right? And so um, when, and I just go back, JJ, because, you know, I go, you just listed off these names. So when I was a, my first year at the Q's, in 1991, you're talking about Louis Carnesecca, 
was at St. John's. PJ Carlissimo was at Seton Hall. Um, Roly Massimino was at Villanova. John Thompson was at Georgetown. Paul Evans was at the University of Pittsburgh. Uh, Calhoun was at UConn. Jimmy O'Brien was at BC and Providence. Was it Rick Barnes? Yeah, it was Rick Barnes. Rick then, Barnes at Providence. Yeah, yep. Yeah. And, um, and you're looking at these Hall of Fame guys. And, you know, even when I was at Duke, right, you had Dean Smith. It, it was, you know, my first year, Dean was still coaching. And um, But just getting back to your point, these legendary guys, and then here are these two, you know, my two Mount Rushmores, and, and I've been blessed because I've worked for the best men. But two of the, 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 you know, obviously Coach K and Coach Bay are these guys that have, you know, really – next to my dad i mean they are like my fathers and uh man i'm unbelievably lucky but as your question was that bay is going to be lasting longer am i surprised i just don't ever see him going away um so i'm kind of not but it's a it it, you realize in my profession how just absolutely t-rex and you know triceratops these these two dinosaurs are because people are lucky to last four years not 40 but it just shows you how great they both are okay you're a guy that's been coaching a long long time you've seen in the nba game you've seen in the college game you watch tape of games from the 80s and the 90s and you compare it to now with the analytics and the three-point shooting and just the overall feel of the game what is more of like a shell shock for you, coach? The idea of the game on the court changing as much as it has or the off-the-court stuff that you got to deal with in college basketball with the transfers and social media? Like for you, what is the more daunting challenge? On the court and the changes there, off the court and the changes there? I think it's more the off the court, in my personal opinion. And this is where we're a little bit different. We still have colleges and whatnot, you know, like the educational part that you're dealing with. You know, Coach Coach Chesky mentioned this the other night, JJ, about, um, you know, the game is always evolving, right? Like, and my children, we watched on Sunday, the Boston Celtics and the um, – the Lakers ESPN 30 for 30, which was fantastic. Great and, 30 for 30. Totally great. great 30 good. for 30. And so I remember watching the game like it was yesterday because I was still in college when Rambus got clotheslined by McCann. And that's kind of who everyone was back then. Like you could get in fights. There was no suspensions. There was no anything, JJ. Like, you know, my son said this the other day. I mean, Rambus, and Rambus was big for everybody that doesn't know. Rambus was 6'9", 6'10", rambling down, you know, and probably going to go dunk that ball. After he gets clotheslined by McHale, his left foot hit the rim. So now you just think about that. Rambus is upended. His foot hits the rim. Well, think, you know, diagonally, his head's going straight down to the ground. And this was just how everybody played back then, right? You didn't even think twice about it. Pat Riley put in incentives the following year. If you even help another guy up on the other team, you're fined. Well, now you see everybody hugging each other. And, and you know, we had this the other day in our prep, you know, when we were with our guys, it's like someone scored on, on uh, his teammate and he gave him five. Oh, my God. I've been losing my mind. Were you losing your mind? I'm sure you were losing your mind. 100%. Yeah, you got to be. You got to be. How some of these things have changed, but to me, and again, I've always been more into the, the psychology of, of 
what happens with these kids, and even more so now about neurology. And so when I think about the phones and, and the Instagrams and all of these things that are like hijacking, hijacking your dopamine, right? Like the chemicals that are being uh, secreted in your brain that all of a sudden it's like, you need this fix, you need this. And it has nothing to do with the sport, right? That's kind of this recruiting world I'm in. Um, but I, I do think this is kind of harder because at some point the analytics give you some facts, right? Okay, you were seven for 25 on this side. You were, you were Shake Milton tonight. You were four for four from the three at a certain spot, like, or you're plus minus, right? That's going to give you some facts. This and my likes, my dislikes, my followers, my, it's like this fantasy world that a lot of these kids are, are living in. I was rated like 17th five years ago, and now I'm 417. Like, and there's no, there's no reality with a lot of these guys. And that's kind of, um, you, you, you need some sort of foundation still, at least in the college side. And that's kind of the hardest part about what we're dealing right now with, with the transfer portals and the new rules. People can roll whenever they want, JJ. So there's no, that, that, that foundation of fundamentals, it's, that's what you, you worry is being lost. And if you lose that, well, then it, it's going to carry over into the game, I think. You coached against Joel Embiid a long, long time ago. I love his game. I absolutely love it. And maybe it's because he's a little bit of a badass. He kind of has that take-no-prisoners type of mentality. And coaching's a big in a day and age where it feels like there are no real good bigs. Now, Jokic just won an MVP. I get that. But I, I, I feel like I'm a sucker for you know nostalgia watching Embiid and watching Jokic. Did you see this with Embiid going back to his college days when he was at Kansas? You think it was so, going to be this good? Yeah, well, you knew he showed gl- well. You, he showed glimpses of being dominant, right? And then he, he hurt his leg, and um, and so his college career was kind of in and out, in and out because of it, of his injuries. Um, but he does throw you back to a different age where big guys were. Everyone had them, and they were all good. Like if you go back to that series with the uh, or the the dynasty between the Lakers and the Celtics, and again, I just watched this weekend. Everything was you had three offensive, three defensive players almost in the lane. Guys weren't whipping up threes. I mean, there's DJ. They're trying to force this thing in there. And so the whole game has changed where it's evolved and now it's pulled outside where it's three point shots. And it's funny. I texted a, a buddy of yours or a buddy of Alex Walters, I should say, during the game tonight. The chant that was going on when Embiid, I think, was at the free throw. Do you remember what they were saying? Trust the process. I thought they were talking about the process. And I, I texted Sam Henke at that moment. And Sam Henke was the general manager for the Philadelphia 76ers who was at Stanford when I was out there. And, uh, and I was fortunate to meet him a few times and it was, you know, again, it was almost one of these things, JJ was like, no, Sam, you created this moment that's happening right now. You did, you got run out on a rail. Uh, it got messy for you. People didn't know what was happening, but if I'm not mistaken, JJ, the Philadelphia 76ers were the number one seed uh, in the East coast conference this year. That is correct. It took some time, but they got there. That it's is true. 
And With so, an MVP candidate, might I add, and a guy who I think would have won the award if he didn't get hurt. Just saying. Yeah, and, and so, but you know what I mean? So sometimes, like the pearl, that grain of sand is in that oyster for a period of time before it becomes that beautiful pearl. And uh, and it's easy to forget all this stuff. And just as you mentioned, I'm, I'm kind of going back to that nostalgia. And Bede is one of these guys who is so big, so strong, so fast. It's like the Joker. Now, he's not fast, but he's just big, he's skilled. And it does remind the days of people like Shaquille O'Neal and those guys that to, uh, they're so big. Like, what can you do with them? Like, it's amazing because if you had a guard and you can't stop them, you're only giving your guard a hard time for letting that ball be thrown in there somehow, some way. But he, you know, Embiid's unbelievable. Final one. And for a guy who's spent his entire life in basketball, does it blow your mind watching a team like Brooklyn that basically didn't play any games together? It feels like all year. Durant missed some time. Irving missed some time. Horn missed time, and now he's out again. And yet, they got a first-year head coach, and they are flowing ever so smoothly and look to be awfully tough to beat. Is it about just the talent, the shot-making ability? Is it a comment? Like, did you ever in a million years think you'd see a team have this sort of, like, craziness to a year and just basically flip the switch come playoff time where they're flowing like a well-oiled machine? Well, it's funny, you know, there's a number of things I got thinking on this one, JJ, is right off the bat, okay? And now Harden got hurt the other night, right? But, heck, when the Cleveland Cavaliers beat the Warriors a couple years back, it was basically the LeBron and Kyrie show. They kind of happened and got that thing over. So you have a guy with the Nets that knows what it's like to win late into this playoff season and win it all. Then you have the other guy who's arguably one of the best that's ever put on a pair of sneakers who has also won, I think it was back-to-back MVP of, of the, the, the finals, right? So that experience and where those guys are at is different than I think almost everyone playing in the game right now. And again, I, I just remember because I was living on that coast out there, JJ, for those five years, but the Warriors, I think, played 120 playoff games in that five or six year run. That's longer than an NBA season. And all of their bodies are have broken down, right? No different than the Lakers and the Celtics in, in, in that ESPN documentary. But getting back to Brooklyn, those guys have those two guys. And then if Harden, I don't know what his status is, whether it's day to day or, but you got three absolutely monsters out there that know what it's like to take and win a game now because everything does matter. And you mentioned the first-year head coach, but that first-year head coach is Steve Nash, who was also an MVP, who was also a consultant slash assistant with the Golden State Warriors, who just had KD out there, right? So when I was out in the Bay and, and, and Coach Nash, he was out there helping out the Warriors. So they, they've got a, some... You know, in the NBA, again, you don't have a lot of guys that have won that whole championship thing. And the, and the, and the, uh, the Nets have two guys that have done it. They, and Nash was an MVP, so they understand this whole game, what it takes, especially this time of year, in my opinion. You are the best. Thanks so much for doing this. Don't be a stranger. I love wow. the fact now that you and I can actually, like, interact face-to-face as we love have it. these conversations, Coach. Oh, it's man. been a beauty. I'm so proud of you, man. Keep, keep crushing it, JJ. We will try. Have a great season at Pitt, and I will be there for either the game at the Carrier Dome this year or at Peterson Events. I don't know. 
After last year, Coach, I don't know if I can handle Peterson events with the way you guys smacked my cue. So I think carry a dome only for me. Just saying. Well, I can't wait to see it. You enjoy the rest of your of your summer. Let's get the Yankees going, bro. That that would be nice. That would be How nice. Would that, that? that would be nice. That's all me, man. The associate head coach at Pitt, the great Timmy O'Toole. So I don't know how many of you saw this particular video that circulated on the internet over the last few days. Uh, Friday night at Yankee Stadium. Young female, probably in her late 20s, early 30s, antagonizing a couple of Red Sox children. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I don't even know what their ages are. It really doesn't matter. The point being is this. This video now has gone viral where it's all over the internet. I'm seeing it left and right. I'm seeing people that I know that don't know who this particular person may be reacting to it. And I have not chimed in. I have not said a word. I have not said a peep until now. I figured in order for me to say my piece, we welcome in the culprit, the instigator perhaps of what went on Friday night in this viral video at Yankee Stadium. That female happens to be I kid you not, my sister, Caroline. Hi, Caroline. I just want to say, most people in the video thought I was 22. So the fact that you're already saying I'm late 20s, early 30s, I don't know. That's a bad way to start. I'm only 30. Um, but yes, thank you for having me on the podcast. I always knew that this was the way I'd get an invitation on. Um, this is actually the first time I've ever actually had you as a guest on one of my shows in all these True. years. It's true. Just in case anybody's wondering, there's, there's, uh, I, I don't know if it would be considered nepotism, by the way, because I think that works when you have a kid. I don't think that necessarily works for a brother-sister dynamic, correct? You know what? I'd have to look up the definition to be, uh, uh you and you be and able I, to give my We're really putting that. that Syracuse and that Ithaca education to work. All right. Uh, wow. enough, with, enough with the pleasantries. Let's cut to the chase. You're instigating fights with like three or four little kids. What the hell happened? All right. So I know that people might've taken this out of context, but I'm I mean, I did. I, 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 mean, gonna, I, didn't, I wasn't there. I'm only reacting what I saw. I look like you're picking on little kids. I'm going to go. I could go on oath under oath right now and tell you this is exactly how it happened. So I was there with my boyfriend, Vince and my friend, Stephanie, and we were bouncing around section to section. Then I heard that my coworker, Steve, who is a big Red Sox fan, he was sitting by the left field foul pole. And I'm like, all right, this game's already trash. We suck. Like, let me go, like, take the walk over from the first base side all the way there to say hello. So he is literally sitting in the first row right by the left field foul pole. So I make my way down in between innings. And in the aisle, there's like, seven little kids and it looks like a scene out of Sandlot they all like they just look like little like baseball fans like they had the backwards hats they're yelling and like I'm like oh this is gonna be hilarious and I hadn't any I didn't have any intentions to do anything but then I I hear they're like Yankee suck Yankee suck and I'm like all right well no you can't stand for that see I, I did not know so let's get this on record it's on record the, I will go eight nine ten year old kids they might have been started even a Yankee they started a Yankee suck chant they, I don't care what age they are they need to be they, taking a test for and that. This I, is, agree. This is I agree this is at Yankee Stadium this is just in between innings it wasn't even like you know during the game like this was in between innings 
They started it, and who knows how long it was going on. It could have been going on all time. All okay, so they start the Yankees suck chant. They started. Now, and what what is what is your reaction? I initially, without hesitation, go Red Sox suck. Red Sox suck. So it wasn't anything other. See, than that's that's kind of lame on your point. No, no, no. So here's the thing. I because the Yankees are losing the game. You should have just told them to pipe down. You know to what? Be with you. No, 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 no. So like, you have to understand. I was thrown into this. Like, it was just me versus like about eight or nine of these kids and like everybody's watching it was like I was on like this theater and like I really just kind of like got caught in the moment and I kept saying suck and then just so you know they were ruthless they were coming back at me and they're like Yankee suck Yankee suck going like and I had no defense like they were putting up like you know putting their fists together they were throwing L's I couldn't throw a middle finger that would now you did not see I'm proud of you for that yeah, you did not I, curse at these poor children. No curses, and you did not flip them the bird. I, no I, I'm gonna applaud that. Okay, yep. and I wanted to so bad, but that's all I had. All I had was the double L. So you will see in all the videos and the pictures, screenshots people took. I'm always throwing up an L because that's all I had. That's the only weapon I had. So we kept going back and forth, but then they were getting creative. They're like, "Where are you from?" The dumpster, and I'm like, "How did they know I was from Staten Island?" That's what I said. So it wasn't like me. Look at you ragging on our home borough. That's not nice. I well, listen, like again, like I thought they knew me. Maybe Steve was in on the joke. I I was defending. Oh, so you were you were thinking this was an inside job. You know what? Like, I don't know what's going on. I right I, I think that might have been the booze talking, to be honest I, with you. Listen, I had two Bud Lights. Yeah, boys, yeah, sure, sure. You know, so sure. who knows? I, I was gonna it. ask, what was the what was the official alcohol counter in this interaction? I was gonna set it at three Only and a two half. tall boys in. And that's nothing for me. So I could go a couple, you know, a couple more and still be be on my best behavior. So um, they were going were you back playing, and, and be honest with me. Were you playing to the cameras? So I feel like at first, honest to God, no. But then everyone, like the Yankee fans were cheering me on. Like, and then I was like, all right, I got to keep going with this. So we kept going at it. Then one of their dads came over to me and he's like laughing with me. We're all having fun. So it definitely was super playful. But then it just kept going. The security guard had to come down and like break it up because people couldn't see the game because now the inning had resumed. So I think that was more of like his concern. But there was one Met fan there too. He was like a four-year-old and he had a Mets jersey on. So I don't know what kind of kids these are. I don't know what they're looking to start, but I feel like I did everything I could to kind of defend my team despite the circumstances. Um, Like I said, no regrets. I think like they're... They're coming at me. I was playing defense, and um, it was good nature. So you're being honest with New York, New York. You're being honest with the tri-state area in America. This was a good-natured ribbing. One million percent. There were smiles had. There were laughs had. If the um, father of one of the kids, or he claims to be, hit me up on Twitter, he said the kids think they're celebrities now. They're loving it. They think they're famous. That they're on a little league team. They're at the game together. So if he's the real father of one of the kids. I mean, it's great. So maybe we'll be friends from now on. We'll go to games together. And, Can you uh, promise me, though, the next time we go to a game that I'm not going to be in the middle of one of these conversations? Yeah, really? Because, you know, I'm lucky that I was not there. I was on the other side of the field. I had no idea any of this was going on until after the fact. 
Yep. It, Little um, did I know that it would be all over the internet. So, so thanks for that. You, I, I, I think deep down this was like planted by you to try to work your way onto New York, New York. No, 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 because I have my platform, House of Highlights. We've got plenty of followers. If I want to go on there, I can. But this just so happened was not staged. It was not planned. This is like how I reacted in the moment. And I couldn't be more happy to have this opportunity. So made my Wednesday or uh, Tuesday, whatever day it is, a little bit better. All right, superstar. Stop picking on kids, okay? Next time you come on a podcast, please... uh, Maybe pick on somebody your own size. How about that? Perfect. All right. Bye, Caroline. There you go. That's my sister, Caroline, who was the sensation of social media the other day because she and like a bunch of kids from the Sandlot who root for the Red Sox are getting back and forth in the fights. Playful fights, but fights nonetheless. So before we say goodbye, let's set the stage for what we have cooking this week. We're going to do a live locker room, which I'm so fired up about. So fired up about. Wednesday after Yankees twins, Garrett Cole, Dr. Baseballs. And we're talking about everything, by the way, not just Yankees. Yankees, Nets, Knicks, Mets, humor me. We're going to go on locker room right after the Yankee game. So we got that coming up. I can't believe, by the way, the Nets are three and a half point dogs against Milwaukee. And that line kind of leads me to believe that Milwaukee's going to have a moment. But there is absolutely no way in the world I'm betting the Bucs. After being dumb enough to bet the Bucs in game two, nah. Nah, 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 I can't do it. I can't do it. Even though so many of my instincts tell me to bet Milwaukee, because it makes no sense they're favored, number one. Number two, everybody's betting Brooklyn. But when you get burned, you kind of find a way to have cold feet. I have cold feet. And I hope everybody listened to my advice and took... Philadelphia for the series after game one. Because I had Philadelphia in game two. I now have Philadelphia as a series ticket at minus 130. And you notice what happens when you go after Trey Young and you attack him on defense. That was quite a theme for the Philadelphia 76ers. So I'm feeling particularly good about that series price. And I love my son's start to the series. Jokic will probably have a moment or two. I do not see that series going seven games. I just think the Suns are a more explosive team. I think they're a the better team. Five or six, give or take. A couple of beat calls, so I hear, regarding this netline. Sorority, fill me in. JJ, it's Jack from Westchester. Uh, I, I hate the Nets so much. But they are 9-1-1 one one against the spread in their last 11 games. They won by 39 points, I think it was in game two. If you're not betting on them, every chance you get, you're an idiot. All right, buddy. I'm I'm raking in, as you would say, the shekels on these picks. Uh, I'm no Jeff Money, but let's go. JJ, Jack from Westchester. I just checked the line on the game coming up on Thursday with the Nets. They're plus four. They're being given four points. They won by six. 39 points yesterday. 39 points. And they're being given four. If if everybody in my life is not putting shekels on that, then I, I, we're going to have to have some talk. All right. I'm out. Jack, I have to be honest. Your confidence now has me dying to go and put a bet in on Milwaukee. After everything I just said 30 seconds ago, 
That reaction right there is my worst nightmare. Because how many folks across America are going to have the exact same approach as you? Nets are getting three and a half. They just won by 40. They just won the first two games in this series. They look unstoppable. Game to game with wagering. Now, I'm not going to bet Milwaukee. Everything that my wagering instincts tell me, though, says Milwaukee's the play. A line that makes no sense. A line that has everybody and their mother betting Brooklyn. That's normally an automatic go the other way. But after I got burned in game two, it's a stay away from me because I got cold feet. I'm going to tell you that point blank. I got cold feet. I'll tell you a guy who never has cold feet. About anything for that matter. The great Jeff Money. What up, Money? What up, JJ? Jeff Money here with a handicapper picks. This is going to be for Wednesday the 9th and Thursday the 10th. We got one game each in the NBA. Started out for Wednesday the 9th. I like the Suns minus the six over the Nuggets. I'm going to keep going with the flow. When they win, they cover. I know it went up from five from the last game. Now it's six, so we're going to take the Suns minus the six. Now on Thursday the 10th, it's a little fishy, but the Bucks are three and a half over the Nets at home. Even though the Nets been outplaying those first two games, I know what I'm going to take the Bucks. I find it a little bit fishy, so I'm going to take the Bucks minus the three. Because if they're going to win in one, they got to win this one. Now they don't want to go down no three zero. So again, got two plays. We got the Wednesday the ninth. I'm going to take the Suns minus the six, and Thursday the tenth. I'm going to take the Bucks minus the three and a half. Okay, JJ, I'm out of here. Let's go. Jeff, money smelling out Iraq, smelling out a fishy line. My lean on that game, from a wagering standpoint, Milwaukee. I just don't have the guts to do it. I'm not going to play the game. Because if the Nets win again, and I lose more money because of what I saw the other day, and then I just compound it because of my Vegas instincts, no, I'm going to be disgusted. So I'll root for Jeff Money on this one. Sorry, Jack. I'm rooting for Jeff Money. Because I want to link these series. These Net fans, they can't have all these nice things all the time. Okay? They can't have all these nice things. Um, Phoenix has been good to me. I bet him in game one. I don't love the fact that the line has not budged at all money. That kind of scares me a little bit. But they're rolling. And I think this will be a five or six game series. So I'm going to ride my series price. I actually don't love, I, I don't love the court quite frankly. For Phoenix on Wednesday night. And I don't really love the idea of betting Milwaukee on Thursday. So couple of stayaways for me. Sometimes you got to stay away. You don't have to play every single one of these games. Especially if you're invested in the series prices in a futures market. You don't have to play every single one of these games. Trust your gut. We're back tomorrow with a locker room after Yankees. We're doing everything. So download the locker room app. We're taking live calls. Do so over a beverage if you like. I'm going to do so over a beverage. It's going to be great. Then Thursday, we're back with a rocking and rolling podcast. So... We'll be back with all the reaction in Nets-Bucks game three. The Yankees better have found a way to sweep the Minnesota Twins because you're playing the Twins, you better win these games. And that's really all there is to it. Great job, fellas. So, Rudy, all the love. Folks, JJ out. Enjoy your Wednesday. Be good, everybody. 